historian, uh, I'm, you know, a uh, literary critic. Uh, so it's a, it's a great pleasure to have this conversation with historian, or at least to have the impression that my, my work, uh, you know, appeal to, or could appeal to, to someone in, in other fields. Uh, we work in, in intellectual history, and I um, sort of, uh, you know, uh, usually work with historians in Argentina, uh, in intellectual history, but, uh, <coughs> but uh, it's, 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 always, it's always a pleasure. So, uh, um, uh, well, sometimes, you know, some colleagues might, they, they say that I'm a closeted historian, uh, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but I teach usually literature. And um, so um, this book uh, uh, called Vernacular Latin Americanism, uh, isms uh, in the plural um, is is a project that uh, I started uh, you know some eight years ago, um, and um, it's about the the you know uh, it's about seven seven figures in Latin American uh, literary criticism and uh, history. Uh, these are seven professors, seven scholars, and uh, so it's, it's it's a book about scholars, seven of them, you know. Uh, some of them known for at least Latin American uh, literary history, and some of them not. Uh, one of them is, is uh, 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 which is who is for me like the founder of the of the of the field in the United States, Jeremiah Ford, um, <coughs> who was a professor of Romance languages and literatures at Harvard, um, who uh, sort of uh, uh, instigated or you know sort of forced his doctoral students in uh, at the middle of the 1910s to you know, switch from uh, Hispanic literature to Latin American literature. And that, of course, was a time of the uh, building of the Panama Canal and other things that were uh, going on. And then uh, one of his uh, uh, disciples, students, uh, Alfred Coester, who, is, uh, or who was um, really a spy. Uh, but this spy, this uh, who worked for the American Geographical Society, was uh, the first uh, author to publish a literary history of Latin America in English. It's the first ever published uh, literary history of Latin America in 1916. And uh, Alfred Coester, who was also uh, a teacher, high school teacher, secondary school teacher in Brooklyn in a commercial school. Uh, wrote this this literary history when he was, uh, you know, uh, a secondary school teacher, and from there, from there, he went into being the first named professor of Latin American literature at Stanford. Something you cannot actually do much these days with the professionalization of the uh, of the field. Then, so those two Americans, uh, then a couple of, of very important intellectuals from Spain. Uh, Federico Dionis, who got in, you know, uh, uh, went to the United States in 1916, just at the time in which you know Coaster was publishing this first literary history uh, um, of Latin America, and Américo Castro, an important historian. Uh, many of you know, I'm sure you you, you know Américo Castro is a big figure, and, uh, who got involved in the field of Latin Americanism as soon as they arrived uh, in in the United States. Um, in the mid uh, in the mid thirties uh, uh, and uh, late thirties actually, and then uh, three Latin American uh, literary historian, the Peruvian Luis Alberto Sanchez, a member of the APRA, who is the first one to write 
um, uh, a literary history of Latin America in Spanish. The first ever published, you know, literary history of Latin America in, in Spanish is, is, is written by an APRA member. And, um, and the second, uh, you know, Latin American uh, literary historian that I dealt with is Pedro Enrique Sureña, also a very important figure, mythical figure for the field, wrote uh, this uh, book, The Literary History uh, of Hispanic America, after giving the uh, Northern Lectures at Harvard. And then Enrique Anderson Inbert, um, uh, who uh, uh, was the author of the uh, only bestseller we have in Latin American literary history, uh, his Historia de la Literatura Hispanoamericana sold uh, 100,000 copies uh, in 40 years, something that is a big achievement in, in, in our field. And I think that is, it was, you know, Anderson, when I, when I first bought, you know, Anderson Inbert's uh, 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 literary history, uh, uh, which I bought in a supermarket uh, in Cordoba, uh, Argentina, uh, those literary history were sold in supermarkets uh, in the in the 90s, uh, where I think I found sort of uh, the starting point to tell this this uh, uh, story, um, which is about uh, the war and and, and, mar and the market and the constitution of Latin Americanism. Uh, of course, this you know project has also like a broader. Um, approach and had a bit to do with the endless and somewhat tiresome debates uh, that happened in you know the 2000s, uh, at least in the field of literary criticism in the United States, about the, the political and academic future of Latin Americanism. I think that that's you know something that uh, was very important, some uh, metropolitan, intellectuals uh, uh, in the United States, um, uh, many of them from Latin America, Walter Mignolo, uh, uh, John Beverly, and, and others, uh, um, engage in this sort of very long debate about you know, the future of the field, what it, what it means to be a metropolitan scholar dealing with subaltern you know, um, uh, peoples, and the different models that this, uh, uh, you know, uh, conversation or this engagement could 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 uh, uh, be developed, and and I think that you know what you know bothered me uh, about that it was had a sort of uh, an endless debate about what what was supposed to be done about that with no resolution in, in sight, uh, <laughs> so to speak. And um, uh, so the different modes of geopolitics of knowledge, in the case of uh, you know, Mignolo, an alliance between metropolitan scholars and indigenous uh, are, you know, struggles in the case of Beverly, and so on and so forth. Uh, but you know, my idea was to just go back and see what had happened before in terms of this intellectual engagement, a history that wasn't been, you know, hadn't been written. Um, particularly from the end of the, you know, uh, beginning of the 20th century, say, up to the 1960s, where I decided to stop <laughs> because it's, it is there or from there that is widely considered that, you know, the field of Latin American studies or Latin Americanism start to really, you know, uh, develop, you know, after the Cuban Revolution and with the engagement of the, of the Cuban Revolution. So I decided to stop exactly there. Um, 
and to leave you know, uh, uh, the debate there or to open it up from, from there. This is, of course, is not a history of Latin Americanism or even of a literary Latin Americanism. It cannot be. I think we'll need uh, you know, hundreds of scholars to, to, to really uh, um, um, uh, deal with this huge uh, you know, enterprise. But it's, but it's uh, a story about these seven, seven uh, figures whose uh, intellectual you know, engagement is so, somehow intertwined. They all come to know each other, uh, work with each other, and uh, even for the ones coming from Latin America and the ones coming from Spain, they all converge in the United States. And um, it's, it's precisely that encounter which, with, the, you know, uh, with the geopolitical needs of the United States that transform and creates sort of a, you know, space for uh, rethinking their previous practice and the practice that, that is going to uh, you know, lie ahead of, of, of them. Um, in general, I, I was curious about you know, this, this life of transnationalisms too. I think I conceive myself, you know, uh, Latin Americanism as a sort of, uh, as, a, as a form of transnationalism um, in, in the sense that uh, it, it, is, it, it doesn't really follow, you know, uh, what you have in nationalist or state-sponsored nationalism, where you have forms of power organization that you have, you have not in, in transnational organizations, like you cannot rely on an electoral system, you cannot rely on patriotic rituals, uh, so transnationalisms are sort of, uh, you know, uh, and it's not internationalism in the sense that, you know, for some people engaging in, 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 in Latin Americanism, uh, the idea of a socialist or, you know, communist international was precisely not the point. For some it was, for some uh, it wasn't. So uh, where, to, where, where, where that transnational engagement stopped? So it's, it's within Latin America, not beyond that. So uh, it is, it's, it, it is about that. So basically the debate is again, uh, so uh, between those normative Latin Americanisms, I, I would call them that way, you know, those, those ethical, utopian, but you know, nonetheless sort of normative, rigid, you know, ways of conceiving Latin Americanism, uh, the disciplines, duties, uh, 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 you know, forms of engagement, and uh, what I call the rooted or situated Latin Americanisms. So as to propose the idea that there are not a sing single one, uh, but you know, a, a number of them, and uh, those are uh, situated and, or, or, or rooted. Um, so I call them vernacular uh, in the sense that you know, it's, it's a way of, of uh, dealing with uh, something that is, uh, you know, not, not uh, a, a classical language, rather, rather a minor or secondary language. And um, so, and to put together these three forms of engagement of rooted uh, Latin Americanism, the one that came from uh, the American scholars, the Anglo-American scholars, who were the first ones to engage in literary research, you know, about this region as a whole. The ones who came uh, from Spain and got involved, you know, not always happily, uh, in, in this, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, crossroads. They weren't prepared to just stop researching Spain and switching by the politics of 
you know, Pan-Americanism sometimes forced them to do that if they wanted to, you know, continue to be, you know, viable, uh, uh, so to speak. And then the, the ones coming from, from Latin America. Um, so um, I decided then to, to speak about this piece with, you know, from three different agendas uh, coming together, not doing, say, you know, Argentine forms of Latin Americanism or Peruvian, you know, uh, versions of it or Venezuelan, uh, because that's always, you know, a problem that, you know, sort of comes about when you think of transnational, you know, political and cultural engagement that are narrated from a national perspective. So that tension is sort of a, a problem. So how to engage with something transnational with a transnational, not methodology, but I'm, I'm not sure what, but at, at least perspective. So three different points, you know, here, three different locations or rooted versions are sort of uh, displayed in order to see, you know, how they were, how they engaged. And, and the final, I would say, you know, uh, idea was uh, not to think that these are fully independent or even sort of the idea that you have a, a metropolitan Latin Americanism and a sort of a Latin American Latin Americanism that is always, you know, they're always, you know, sort of hating each other, you know. We do, we do in a way that you are, you know, we are, we are not interested in the way you do it. You have commitments. So to bring these agendas to, 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 to show how at least these seven scholars sort of came together, I had to deal with the same, you know, issues. Um, so, and one of the other things that I found, you know, useful for my project about the way to approach this, you know, trans Latin Americanism from below, so to speak, not in a normative way, but was to deal with certain, um, with the material aspect of Latin Americanism, uh, so to speak, that is not always uh, very much, uh, you know, uh, discussed. Latin Americanism, particularly in this period, is, is very much about ideas, what Martí, you know, proposed, what, you know, Rodó proposed, um, but also started investing, without disregarding, you know, those very important voices, it start to connect those with, with say, things like, you know, technologies of Latin Americans, technologies of inter connectivity. So, so the, the place uh, of the under, you know, undersea cables, you know, uh, um, so telegraph, telegrams, uh, that are sometimes dealt with in these projects. And uh, so the, the way, you know, these undersea cables played a role in reconnecting the area, making it possible. Aviation companies, something I touched very little in the case of Sanchez, uh, whose, uh, you know, uh, sort of speaking campaigns are very much connected in his own memoirs with uh, things like describing, you know, going to airports and the Panagra, you know, flights uh, and moving around and going into these tours by, uh, you know, prompted by this specific technology that allow a certain circulation of knowledge that wasn't possible before. Or to say, um, uh, speak about a, a bit uh, about private organizations uh, devoted to public lecturing, like, you know, um, uh, uh, 
Colegio Libre de Estudios Superiores in Buenos Aires, that were anti-nationalist, non-fascist organizations that sort of posted many of these Latin American, you know, uh, uh, voices where in times where fascism and nationalism were not the places uh, to, to engage um, with. Then, you know, publishing companies, transnational publishing companies, the Fondo de Cultura Económica, so uh, things like this that allow to sort of, uh, uh, um, uh, I'm not doing, of course, uh, a full history of all of these <laughs> technological developments. There are people who have done this very successfully. Um, and, uh, but I, I rethink some of the references that come up in the, in, the, in the work of these scholars that have to do with technological uh, aspects of their own Latin American practice, so to speak. And um, so um, I would say that, you know, that's uh, basically uh, uh, the principle of the, of the, um, of the research. And um, uh, um, uh, so my, my, my project is, 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 really, is really about that. And I think, uh, you know, it took several years because one of my purposes against, you know, this uh, normative version of Latin Americanism was, was to go to the archives and really see, you know, private correspondence and uh, uh, telegrams, uh, um, even, you know, uh, uh, things that uh, were really, really material in the configuration of an archive but could really speak about Latin Americanism from, from a different uh, perspective. And um, so I think I'm, I'm going to leave it there. And uh, so uh, if you have questions, you know, I'll be delighted to entertain them. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank, thank you so much, um, Fernando. It's, it's a real pleasure to come and respond a little bit to your, your wonderful and rich book. I, I think it, it does many things that are useful to us in a range of different disciplines. Um, and it's certainly been a big stimulus to my own thinking. So I very much sort of value the way that you're trying to um, chart the specificities of hierarchies of knowledge. So there's a lot of talk about hierarchies of knowledge and power relations and all the rest of it, but you're really trying to sort of work through how these problems intersect cultural, political, institutional, economic, diplomatic considerations and, and interests. And I think some of that sort of um, very kind of, um, you know, you really, you rootedness, yeah. you talk about rootedness, and I think that is what comes through in a lot of your chapters. I particularly like the chapter, I thought it worked very well on the university reform movement, and I thought that gave a real um, new dimension, actually, to the historiography of the university reform mm -hmm. which hasn't really been rethought for a long time and I think you raised some very interesting questions that um, could well be taken further. Um, I think in general it's quite unusual to think about the geopolitical significance of the study of literature. Yeah. There's so much on social science or on history, perhaps sometimes on, on culture more broadly um, defined, but actually to think about literature and what the field of literature and its constitution and who does its constitution, um, what that actually means in terms of wider political ramifications 
Um, I mean, I'd often wondered why the students in the university reform movement spent so much time going on about the need for a common uh, sense of the region's literature, mm -hmm. and, and, and your work kind of helps me to understand that a little bit more. I also like the, the term vernacular. I think probably I need to sort of think a little bit more about how um, directly applicable I find it to the kind of things I do, but it seems mm. quite a, a sort of useful term for signalling. Um, it, it, it has obviously linguistic implications, mm. but, and it has, but it also has uh, implications for social exchange mm. and um, for the ideas about performance, mm -hmm. um, uh, the performativity of culture, which I know you're, you're getting very interested in. So I, I think vernacular also is a term that perhaps many of us could... Um, usefully uh, think about adopting um, in other contexts. Um, and the whole emphasis you bring out on embodiment and social activism and encounters in the public spaces, I think, um, is, is very rewarding. And I also like the way that you, the point you just made about how you, you, you don't want to get locked down into this dualism of the metropolitan or the local, uh, the authentic or the inauthentic, the inside, the outside, which, you know, those kind of divides, I think, you know, a, a lot of thinking is it, it, sort of shot through with all of that. And I think it's, I think it's actually quite brave of you mm -hmm. to try and uh, sort of <laughs> take that on uh, a little bit. Uh, and, um, and, and show um, some of the things that you're, you're trying to say. I think that, that the sort of field of Latin American literature is a, is a kind of co-production yeah. for <laughs> these people in the United States, some people from Spain who went to the United States, from people, some people from Spanish America, some of them also went to yeah. the United States and that. So I think and the, the, the historicizing of uh, the changing views of people like Luis Alberto Sanchez mm -hmm. or Pedro Alonique Serena, I think also is very important. You, you still, in a lot of these studies of these intellectuals, I think you still kind of get a sense of, you know, that, that a quote is taken from 1924, another yeah. quote is taken from 1938, mm -hmm. and they're supposed to be the same, right. make the same analysis, but in fact they're coming from very different positions and that's not brought out. So I think you historicize, you are a closet historian, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure of that. Um, okay, so a few um, questions or discussion mm -hmm. points. And these are, as you would expect, they are really a, a historian's yeah. questions. Um, I suppose I was... I mean, obviously, you, you're basically looking at 1900 to 1960, but I couldn't help thinking back to the history of people thinking from within the region, and also in the United, in what becomes the United States, actually, about connections across the Americas. So even if you take it um, to uh, Spanish America, um, you know, there's a lot of discussion going on in the wars of independence, and some of it is actually about, you know, what are the common cultures, what are um, common writings. Very, very early on, you get a sense, particularly in poetry, of um, voices echoing each other and are working in dialogue with each other, at least in South America. I know less about how this connects um, up with Mexico. So I suppose there's a whole history, I would say, of internal 
to, to mm -hmm. fall back into the trap that you're mm -hmm. trying to get us out of. But dynamics within Latin America mm -hmm. that, that uh, make um, this preoccupation with you know, they've got the shared language. There's all these debates about what the Spanish language should be in the Americas through the 19th century. And out of that arises a lot of construction, I think, of... It's the beginnings, at least, of a field of, of literature. Certainly in poetry, I would say. It's harder to make the case in, in other genres. Um, but certainly in poetry, I think it, it's really quite... Um, important. Um, so I suppose, give, I just wondered how you would respond um, to all those historical points of which I'm sure you're, you're more than aware, because I suppose although, you know, you can write the history of the term Latin America as, you know, French geopolitics in the 1850s, 60s, um, Spanish-American War, rise of US hegemony, etc, 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 Cold War, then there is an alternative history of, um, if it's not Latin America, it's, it, I mean, you're really interested in, in, in ideas about what's shared across the whole Americas, mm -hmm. aren't you, rather than mm -hmm. the particular mm -hmm. thing about Latin America, perhaps. Um, so the, these alternative histories and these previous histories of the idea of some kind of shared literature um, and Marti, for example, posits literature, as you know, as a you know a kind of um, uh, an alternative repository of, of, mm. of history, mm -hmm. when history hasn't really, in all places, uh, been able to do the, the job that people often want it to do. Um, so I, I suppose I'm just interested in your response to that, and all, and in relation to that, I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you chose your case studies, how you mm -hmm. chose your seven um, figures. Mm -hmm. Because I think you could perhaps tell a different story mm -hmm. if you chose different different figures. I mean, you always can, of course. Another point is, I mean, we usually think, well, I suppose it's mostly sort of post-Cuba, as you're saying, but Latin Americanism is usually thought of as an interdisciplinary endeavour. You're focusing very much on literature, but I do wonder how you relate to the work that's been done on the ideas of Latin Americanism in history or a bit later in, in social science. I mean, Mark Burgess' old book from the mid-90s about what Under Northern Eyes or whatever. Um, and I'd just be very interested to hear a little bit more about how you see the, the connections or the relationship between Latin Americanism in literature and other mm -hmm. American Latin Americanisms in other mm -hmm. in other fields, and I guess um, you know a related sub question is you know how do you locate your work um, in relation to Tenorio Trillo's recent um, book on the idea of Latin America? You're probably annoyed by constantly being <laughs> asked that question. I could imagine because the two books came out about the same sort of time. But I mean, he has a much bigger concept of the idea of Latin America. Um, and I'd, so I'd just be interested to know how you um, respond to some of his, um, his, his arguments. Building on that, I guess, um, my sense of the Tenorio Trio argument is that I, mean, I think quite a lot of what he's saying re is related to Latin America. I think you would find specialists in other areas of the world 
might well also say, even if they might situate it in different times or whatever. And I wonder, you know, what is distinctive? Are, are, are we saying that there is something distinctive about the intersection of power and knowledge and hierarchies of knowledge in Latin America? Mm -hmm. Or is this part of a kind of, you know, broader global construction that's going on uh, in the early 20th century? Mm -hmm. Uh, in relation to all sorts of parts of the world that don't happen to be uh, at the, in, you know, at the, the in the sites that are normally thought of as central to knowledge generation, have the most powerful resource, well-resourced centres of knowledge generation. So I think a comparative perspective. I'd love to hear what you, how you relate to these other areas. It's a, it's a slightly tangential point, but I think it is related because I think in a lot of a lot of the debates about Latin Americanism, I don't think you, you do this, but it is quite common to contest the term Latin America in yeah. itself. And of course it's a problematic term. We all know it's a problematic term. How do you define it? There are endless obvious problems with it that we're all, all too familiar with. But in history at least, there is a continual recurrence, if you like, of people making a case that it is a meaningful category of historical analysis. And it goes back, I guess, to in Roxburgh's piece in the early 1980s about unity and diversity in Latin American history, and he was trying to counter the essentialism of Claudio Velis. Um, but more recently, um, and, and, and I, to my mind, persuasively, Jose Moya, um, in his introduction to the Oxford Handbook of Latin American History. I mean, he does, I mean, he, you know, he's, he's very kind of alert to all the problems with it, um, and he sets out an alternative conceptualization of the kind of geographical, ethno-historical divides in the Western Hemisphere, which is basically used in the, in the handbook to refer to the colonial period. So he says much, much more credible before the 19th century than Ang the Anglo and Latin is Indo or Mestizo America, which he sees as basically the Western, the Western Highlands, Afro America, and Euro America. Uh, and that's basically the framework that the people writing about the colonial years employ in throughout the book. But in the 19th century, he argues, there is a change, even though you could say those categories continue to have some analytical purchase at certain places and certain times at least. But he argues that because of all the socioeconomic changes in Europe in the 19th century, industrialization, demand for food and raw materials, transportation, all the things we've been talking about, basically there's a kind of switch in um, the fortunes of these regions were so the, the areas that were poorest under colonial rule, the areas of Euro-America, become the wealthiest and take the lead in the nation-state uh, making. So both approaches, um, Latin and, and Anglo and this, this tripartite um, framework are, are used in, in the region, but uh, but Moyer does go on to make the case for retaining the idea of Latin America. In fact, he argues that as broad categories go, this one has more historical significance and cultural meaning than other labels such as Europe, Asia, or Africa. Um, 
I'm sure everybody's familiar with the reasons for this, but I'll just run through what Moya says quickly because it's it's a it's a good summary of the of the main points to think about. Um, he argues that the the kind of multiracial history behind the above the categories above of Afro-Indo-Europe makes Latin America different from the rest of the globe. That it has a unique history of transcontinental migrations, and that leads in turn to what he calls a particular propensity to racialize ethnicity, and in relation to that, high levels of inequality. This history of migrations leads to this tendency for racialization and exclusion but also, somewhat contradictorily, he says, an inclusive definition of, lat of nationality and points out that uh, the region is unusual uh, worldwide in, in nearly everywhere grants citizenship by birthplace um, rather than ancestry or any other kind of qualifications. And then he, he identifies the history of Iberian colonialism and its very deep effects, so a deep inner extension of um, Iberian uh, ways of life. They transformed the landscape, they introduced new languages, and what he calls the Iberian cultural imprint is very um, deep, posits the Americas as central to processes of bondization and globalization, later liberalism and nation state building. Wondering whether you would throw out the term Latin America uh, or whether you think it has use in particularly in your teaching and that leads on to my final question how does your thinking about all this stuff how does it shape your teaching because one of the sort of slightly um in, in, in a way you know Tenorio Trillo at the end of his volume kind of ends up saying well we have to keep this term for convenience and it still shapes the way I teach my courses so I just would be very interested to, to hear where you've ended up on that position um Thank you, Nicola. Uh, such detail, you know, reading and I think, and, and maybe just to, to be brief and to go to some of the, the some of the questions she raised, rather than sort of run through the book. Um, obviously, one thinks, you know, intellectual history is a tricky business, mm -hmm. particularly if you're only doing literature. I mean, the other things sort of come in behind that, and. Um, <clears throat> I, and at the same time, I think vernacular is a mm -hmm. tricky term, it's quite ambiguous. Um, and to bring those two together, one of the things that, that came up right away is I was looking at, well, actually, none of these seven people are talking about Latin America. Mm -hmm. They're all talking about Hispanic America, Indo-America, and so on. And so being, right, to begin with, your reading is not vernacular, mm -hmm. it's actually, it's, it's, it's grounded in post-1960 readerships, right, of what Latin America means. And so right there you have a tension, right, which is one that all, all intellectual historians have. Do I go sort of full throttle conceptual history and stick to the terms that were actually used by people, right? Or, or do I translate it into contemporary terms, right? And that's the tension in the book. Because it's not about Latin Americanism, it's about um, the literary subfield of Hispanic American literature. Um, as that is translated into a political program, right? That's how I read it, at least. And and so, um, given that that is the case, I think I think that is the history. You know, what does that mean for this question, right? I think I think first of all, it means that 
Latin America as an object of study is actually is very recent. Although the term you can clearly trace it to the 1830s and 1850s, we know from uh, <clears throat> Goba's work on, on Nicaragua that it's an anti-imperialist term, but it's also one about distancing people of Latin descent from the rest, right, and so on. Um, but but really, in terms of the field, it's not the term. It's not the operative term. And so it seems to me that that is important um, in a way that your book doesn't bring out. Um, at least that, that would be my that would be my question. Is sort of you know why did you decide? And I, obviously, it's a good marketing ploy, right? <laughs> Latin Americanism. Otherwise, maybe we wouldn't be here. Um, but um, and, you know, I mean, Pitt wants to sell the book as Latin American studies. Mm -hmm. But it's 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 sort of strictly speaking not that, and so you know what what does that mean for, um, you know in, in other fields African Asian um, um, European it's it's, um, it's it's a bit different right that that particular um, tension I think that that's I think maybe one thing that we could talk about. Um, um, here and I guess the the other question I had was about the you know why this period mm -hmm. I guess if you talk about that a little bit more I um, I, I agree with uh, Nicola that actually you can trace the history of if we want to call it um, Americanism in fact that's what it was called mm -hmm. um, from basically the 1770s. And there's a very strong Americanist, you know, we have histories of Americanism, which I think is really mm -hmm. the trasfondo, uh, you know, the, the sort of the semantic field is created by mm -hmm. Americanism from the late 18th century, in the, the period really 120 years before you are, mm -hmm. in which there's a, a discourse, a lot of it's coming from France, mm -hmm. uh, different parts of Europe, but also from uh, the Hispanic world, also from uh, what, and from the United States, which has already configured an object of study, mm -hmm. um, and which, by the way, is politically united mm -hmm. at the same time. Right? In fact, there are projects of political unity. Mm -hmm. I think, actually, they're they're stronger mm -hmm. at that period. And so, um, it, it, it seems to me that your your period is is a sort of the second round. Mm -hmm. Uh, as it were, of, um, I don't know what we call it, Americanism. Yeah. But in this particular moment, it's, it's still Hispanic Americanism, mm -hmm. not yet Latin Americanism. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess that, that, that'll be my comments. All right. Yeah. Wonderful, thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, I think uh, I'm going to start by, you know, uh, the question of semantics. So I come from literature, and I tried not to get into nominalism, um, <laughs> which seems to be paradoxical, right? In the sense that, you know, that could be my, uh, my field. Uh, uh, understanding, you know, the question or trying to place the question of uh, nomenclature, names, competing names uh, uh, at the center. Um, uh, as you, as you I'm, I'm sure you can, uh, uh, you know, uh, attest, uh, sometimes when we have to even translate into English something we are, you know, reading in Spanish, like, you know, um, uh, say, Sanchez, Historia de la Literatura Americana, 
So, but when you say Americana, if you say American, then, and then later on he writes one that is, that includes the United States, but later in the 50s. Mm. So, uh, the whole thing is that, and then you have, to, you have those brackets to say, okay, his sort of Latin American literature, you know, American, yeah, so, um, so, uh, um, I think that, you know, when I decided to uh, uh, engage with this problem, there are tons of studies about the problem of nomenclature, you know, and uh, these studies have been, you know, uh, been perfected over time. Um, and um, so there is a very recent one. And um, so people have, uh, you know, uh, done quite a lot ab about that without, of course, being able to resolve, uh, you know, the question, the pragmatics of uh, not only the, the semantics of the term, but also the pragmatics of the term. For instance, if you read El País, sometimes they use Ibero-America still, right? Um, and, but not consistently, necessarily. Uh, but, you know, sometimes going back and forth. Um, and, of course, there's a question about, you know, Indo-America for the apristas and... Uh, which paradoxically is a term that, you know, Aja prefers, but Sancho doesn't prefer. Um, <laughs> so, um, and uh, uh, of course, Pan-Americanism, Hispanism. Um, so in practical terms, I would say that, you know, uh, and then I'll, I'll you know, go farther than that. In the book, what I try to say is to, uh, you know, specify the question of nomenclature uh, when it, uh, it, 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 it appears, you know, in, in the context of, of a specific discussion. Not, so, not as a normative, because the question is, you know, when and how, and, you know, I'm writing from today, as, as you said. So there's a post-1960, you know, uh, acceptance of the term. Uh, there's, a, there's a change even in Latin America about, you know, calling the cathedras literatura latinoamericana or hispanoamericana. Um, so I think uh, it's, it's a peculiarly complex, you know, problem because the issue is not settled yet. Um, and uh, and it's, it's changing. Uh, so where to speak from, you know, uh, particularly in that regard. Not to mention the question of Brazil, which is, you know, even more complicated because some people use Ibero-America to include Brazil and uh, so on and so forth. So um, it's not that the problem is intractable. I think it's, it's tractable. Um, but I don't think that the problem, uh, you know, shapes the way in which the field evolved, uh, unless there were specific questions at certain points raised about this, and that's what I tried to at least do in the book. You say, okay, now at this point we have this problem of nomenclature, of you know, and then is, this is the way you know they solve it. So Sanchez versus Aja, say. Um, so um, on the other hand, there is the question of. The use in English, of course, of Latin America as a category that starts much earlier, maybe than in, in, in Latin America uh, uh, itself, and and the odd formulations. Uh, so Hart Ford, Jeremiah Ford, 
you know, founds the Council of Hispano-American, <laughs> uh, which Hispano-American studies could be a, a bit of an old formulation, not very generalized, you know, a certain book, but was the first name given to this institute, right, in the, in, in the 30s. So, um, so this, is, this is part of this double transaction, this writing about this a bit anachronistically, but also dealing with, with this and, and, and even things that are still today being, being debated. And so that was my, my, my strategy, so to speak. As to exactly going back, of course, yeah, there is, there is a first wave uh, uh, of, uh, you know, you have Tignor, you have many other, you know, historians that since the mid-19th century, Prescott start to, to engage. Uh, uh, with this uh, a specific uh, problem, but my concern, at least when I have to just deal with the with the with the discipline, you know, uh, I started to, you know, by the 1900s, 1910, because it's there when the discipline as such, as a, you know, sort of uh, uh, deliberate, you know, uh, uh, field of knowledge start to be articulated. Because I, even though when Tegnor or you know, press wrote in the 19th century. They didn't try to shape a field yet. Uh, I mean, the field was being shaped, uh, but not to the point of starting to systematically articulate a field like at the beginning of the 20th. So I have to sort of um, uh, make that um, uh, that distinction for for uh, you know practical for practical use. But also there is the question of, of you know, literature versus other social sciences, which is a bit, you know, the problem here, I think, the bottom line. Um, and of course, you know, the, the teaching of literature in the United States is very much tied to the question of the teaching of Spanish as a language, you know, which is something that really, really, really uh, starts after uh, uh, the First World War, when German is 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 is, is being basically uh, uh, eliminated from the curriculum as a consequence of the war, so there are all these teachers that start to German, uh, you know, language teachers that start to sort of uh, transition to Spanish language Latin teachers. So Spanish is is driven by this language based, you know. Uh, 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 formulation that is this ge geopolitical. So now our field is, you know, uh, 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 our our area of interest is, is Latin America. So Spanish is, is 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 dominant. So the idea that, but there is still this tension about literary and history as source of understanding Latin American, the Latin American character, as you put in, in you know, uh, uh, very positivist terms, but. The problem with the with the character and, and the language is that, and it's interesting to see, you know, first manuals of uh, Spanish uh, uh, language, where they have, you know, this all these photo, you know, photographies uh, uh, taken of by other, you know, uh, organists of, of uh, the, the American government. Uh, so uh, the American Geographical Society they use pictures taken, you know, uh, from. By the American Geographical Society in uh, language language uh, books, uh, Spanish language books. But the thing is that literature becomes sort of the opposite of history, 
And there is a little bit of a, <laughs> of a tension there because they say the historian teaches us uh, about Latin America, um, but the version they provide is negative because it's informed by positivism, so by fatalism, and we need a hopeful <laughs> version of it in order to consider this a viable field for expanding our markets. Because if we say that you know, Latin Americans are not good subjects of capital because they are fatally incapable of embracing capitalism modernization, so what we're going to do about them, how we're going to commerce with them. So we need a different version. And then the positive version is the, the version given by literature, where there's the, some hopeful you know, versions of Latin America. And then they create this tension. I, I'm not saying that that's true, but it's the way they epistemologically subdivide the field between the, the people who, are, who provide happier versions and the hopeful versions for the future of the continent and the ones that are not you know, uh, uh, for instance, there's a debate with Costa Lima, who is, you know, historian at Harvard at that point, and they said, why is Harvard appointing a historian who's going to give a terrible version of Latin America? You know, we need, you know, hopeful version to, to establish commerce with them. So, so uh, that's, that's one, uh, one thing, uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe is interesting too. Um, well, so many things. Um, the question of vernacular. Yeah, I, you know, uh, became interested in the in the word, um, and it's maybe something I don't fully explore in the book because vernacular comes from varna, so the domestic slave, not the slave that works in the field, in, but in, in Roman times the word that the slave that worked at home, and that idea of Latin America, you know, being for the metropolitan academ academia inside and outside, being this, this, this late subject, but also the domestic one, which is not that foreign as not to be treated, you know, like the one in, in the field, is, is something that sounds, that was appealing to me. So it was the question of language, of the vernacular <coughs> language, and of the complexity between the domesticated while slaved. So, and I think this is, the, this, is, this is the thing about all this, you know, uh, group of scholars that are at the same time part of the U.S. Ac academia, <coughs> coming from Spain, coming from Latin America, but having to go and work eventually, even the most oppositional ones like, you know, Sanchez, that for me is an interesting <coughs> work when, with the Second World War, all the apristas, you know, have to sort of join forces uh, with the American government against, you know, uh, uh, the enemy, and suddenly I found, like, you know, uh, um, uh, Sanchez himself being sort of the domestic slave, um, sort of being there to give lectures about Pan-Americanism that was the worst thing that they could have ever thought before the war, and, uh, and this, you know, uh, this is one of the most interesting characters, I think, Sanchez, you know, going, because it has been disregarded, has been forgotten, 
going to the United States and uh, so how to tour the country for $5,000, you know, under Pan American or Good Neighbor Policy sponsorship and going from town to town in this performative way of, you know, dealing with Latin Americanism. And performativity is something important because uh, Enrique Sureña's lectures are given as Norton lectures. There's, there's, there's a whole question about the lecturing circuit there that started, you know, in Latin America in this private. So going to, going to the, from town to town, you know, in, in the United States giving the same lecture, he, he speaks of the disco rayado, um, and then finding in one of the auditoriums in Iowa, or, you know, a lady that, you know, raised you know, her hand and says something like, um, did you ever try ice cream before coming to the United, to the United States? <clears throat> so, <laughs> and after the lecture about, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's a, it's a funny one because, because it's again, the tension, you know, the incomprehension, the comprehension, the idea of superiority, and that plays out in that particular, you know, in, in that particular context. And I think that, you know, Sanchez is, is one interesting figure because, I mean, uh, and the other one I found interesting that I didn't deal with uh, entirely, but I, it's, it's, a, it's a focus of my new project, is Manuel Ugarte, who also toured Latin America. He, he engaged in this two-year speaking tour of Latin America to really see if Latin Americanism could be an embodied practice. If, if Latin Americanism could go beyond the walls of the university. Because in Marti, in Rodo, there is the implication that Latin Americanism has to be, or the idea of Latin America is something that circulates you know, in the university youth, basically. So Ugarte says, okay, so let's try to go beyond this and let's try this it's an idea that is of interest <coughs> to other people who are not located in, you know, in the academia. And um, so, and, and he goes and does something that many Latin Americanists have uh, attempted to do, is to, to engage with people. So he does all this tour and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, there are crowds following him and he uses, of course, telegrams and telegra uh, 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 cablegrams to anticipate his own arrival. And he tries to do a Latin Americanism, of, you know, sort of undersea cable. And um, at the end, um, he, 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 he considers he fails. And he says, you know, Latin Americanism is, 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 a, is a proposition that if taken outside of scholarship at the university, it's always <coughs> difficult to embody or to convey by other means. Um, and he doesn't. And he says the problem is not between Ariel and Caliban, but Latin Americanism is, has to be compared with Sisyphus, who, you know, tries to bring the rock up only to, you know, uh, experience this <coughs> fall down, and it's connected with a certain periodicity. I mean, it's interesting during wars or comes alive, but then. Is, is, is very conjuntural, so to speak. And uh, unless it is a scholarly subject. At the university, is, you know, its presence is sort of steadier. Um, and um, 
Um, so, um, how, I don't know if I have time uh, because I'm sure there are other. So, and I think what is important for me when I chose this, that work is that they were all connected. Jeremiah 4 was the one that after, you know, uh, 30 years appointed Enrique Sureña to go to Harvard and to give the Northern Lectures. And uh, uh, so, uh, <coughs> Castro gets into the Guggenheim uh, Commission and appoints many people who are of interest to, to him, all through the, you know, and is very <coughs> adamant in getting uh, Enrique Sureña to, to Harvard. And uh, also, uh, so, and it's the question of these people thinking, perhaps, that since Latin America will not be ever under a unified government, I mean, in the sense that, you know, that the Bolivarian utopian idea, that's a preposition that is out of question by 1910 or 20, at least. There were many attempts, but then, you know, with the rise of nationalism, and in the 30s, even worse, because they started, you know, the, the, the wars, the internal wars uh, between Bolivia and Paraguay, and many other wars that erupt in, in that period. So Latin Americanism is not going to it's not, not going to be a government you know proposition. So if not that, what it is, or where can Latin America, what 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 space could it inhabit, if not that of government? So it could be that space that of the market, or could it be what could it be, or of intellectual organizations? located in the public sphere. Latin American, you know, little private, uh, you know, groups that communicate, but those are still very much university-oriented. So it's, it's about this, and the timing is about, it's about that. I mean, there are people who are, who are saying, you know, well, now we, we don't have that project anymore. So if we don't have that project, of, you know, uh, 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 regional unity through government, do, what do we have? You know, and where can we operate as a transnational? So it's basically it's basically that. But thank you. <laughs>